if there's an opportunity to bring a state, a playful state of mind to the process uh, of creating a brand strategy, I will look at what that might be. Hey guys, we have Willem, Willem van der Horst here. So Willem is an uh, amazing guy. He's an award-winning senior brand strategy consultant. So he says that he specializes in playful brand strategy. So um, little known fact that um, Willem is actually the first person I'm interviewing that I had a working relationship with. So uh, we sort of worked together in Kuala Lumpur and Singapore many years back. So Willem has extensive experience in the strategy and creative space. You know, he has worked in London, Paris, Singapore, and now Chicago. So he's worked with multinational agencies like BBDO, Geometric Global, Sachi and Sachi, and to name a few. And yeah, and last but not least, he's also the host of the Ice Cream for Everyone podcast, where he talks to uh, people who are in the creative space. And then he has long conversations with them you know, about everything from chess to strategy to work. And you know, he also, I subscribed for many years to his newsletter, The Ice Cream Sunday. So, Willem, welcome to the show and thanks for doing this. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the really, um, I mean, for all the compliments, I guess, and the really nice intro. When you hear it, it's always, it, you, know, you never think about yourself in the same way as other people do, I guess. Yeah, it's... Um, Listing accomplishments rather than like try to look at all the things that are late and missing. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it doesn't do justice because I just summarized, you know, some of what you did and it took many, many years to accomplish what you have with many, many experiences. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I'm very intrigued by, you know, what you do as, as a living and, you know, what, what uh, I want to also educate my audience on is more on uh, creative strategy. So mm -hmm. first, first and foremost, uh, you know, what is the right word to use for someone in your position? Is it strategist, planner, some, some are insights director? Uh -huh. So what's, what's the right word or the best way to explain it? I, uh, well, all right. So um, the right word, I don't know, but I usually go by the word of the day because that seems to make the most sense. And the word of the day seems to be strategist. I don't particularly... I'm not that hung up on whether I'm a planner or the strategist. When I tried to get into and I started my career, planner was the word of the day. There are people that argue about it. I don't know if your audience tends to be the kind of people that do this job and argue about it or people that are interested in marketing overall, but I can just explain what I see my job as uh, and what I see the role as. And, uh, and it's not going to be wildly different from other people, I don't think, because I'm just going to use canonical definitions that I've heard elsewhere. But uh, what I understand my job to be and what, what people pay me for is, so the planner and or strategist, as it seems to be a little bit more widely used, I would say is a person that bridges between, on the commu creative communication side of things for marketing and advertising and branding, somebody that bridges between the business and the creative side of things. So it's a third voice that comes in when a person who is working with a client as an account manager is going to be responsible for the financial relationship and making sure the client is very happy from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And the creative is going to be making sure that what we're going to be doing is original. And then this particular voice of mine is going to be digging into either 
ask a lot of questions that the account manager might not ask because they either don't know or they don't care. Like it's, it's good to separate that relationship so that I can come in from another objective, from another perspective to ask questions that somebody else might not. Uh, and I'm going to dig into the client's business in uh, a particular way to understand and get under the skin of what it is that, that's going on and how can we define what challenge they have from a business perspective in a different way than just saying I need to sell more of something, which is, you know, every business is challenged in the first place, understandably. Uh, and then this other idea of speaking for the receiving end of the communication. So that might be a consumer or people or on the business side of things, it might be a customer audience. Uh, and so going to study what's going on on their side and matching up what seems to be the business challenge with what seems to be of most interest to the audience and then mashing that up in some kind of way to tell and to guide the creative direction in a particular fashion. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole, but of course, the, with more media, the job got ever more complex because there's questions on one hand about like what the brand is about. And so there's some portions of the job that got, tied towards uh, branding and brand strategy. And then there's more questions about where do these messages live? And there's like this whole question about communication strategy. So I started my career on the digital side. So a lot more questions on how does this stuff live in uh, technology and digital social media channels? Like it's always, you know, you can argue about whether it's the right word, but you need some kind of word to label things. So it's still sort of the label that we're using. Uh, and then I've had the chance of working across the board on a lot of different clients. So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades on that. And sometimes within an advertising agency, I'm the guy or the role is the guy that, I mean, is, you could argue whether that's a good thing or not. Sometimes it is a little bit nebulous. I kind of like that it's a little bit nebulous so that anybody who has a question that they don't understand think that maybe that's a question for the strategist. So they come to me or to the strategist, wherever, you know, wherever they're working, they're like, well, if there's something we don't understand, let's talk to the strategist. Yeah, great stuff. That's long answer. I hope it helps. Yeah, that's quite uh, a mouthful, and I hope I hope my audience understands. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but yeah. that said, if you want, let, you know, tell me like where to dig in for your audience. I'm not All sure. Right. Can Can I scale it down? Um, yeah. Can I scale it down a bit so that the average person would understand? So sure. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a local florist in Chicago. Yes. What, if a local florist hired a strategist like yourself, how would you start to work with the florist? Well, I would have first have a conversation with the florist to find out more about their business. Uh, what's their catchment area? Do people tend to come? What occasions do people tend to come and buy flowers for? Uh, what does the florist want to achieve in working with me? Um, what is it they feel is missing from their business? Mm -hmm. So that's where it starts. I would have a conversation around what's your business about and what is it you're trying to do? Mm. What is it you're trying to achieve? What's missing? Because yeah. if there isn't anything of the kind, then there's not particularly any point in working with me. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's like, well, if you feel your business is working perfectly fine, then there's not really any need to uh, hire an advisor. Yeah. Because uh, that's also what I can be for smaller businesses such as that florist. I'm also an advisor and I've, I've done that with like smaller clients. So that's what I would be doing first. I'm not sure if, like, if this is now too broad, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no, no. So like, like after 
you identify the needs of the forest. Let's say yes. the forest says, I... Um, well, let's say, okay, well, let's, let's say the florist says, well, the biggest day of the year for all florists is, Saint Valent is Valentine's Day, and I don't sell as much as my competitors on Valentine's Day, and I don't know why. So that would be a challenge. I'm like, oh, okay, you have a problem because this is the biggest sales day of the year for everybody else but you. So what's going on? Yeah. And uh, we would look at that. Uh, I, and I don't know what the answer is, but I would say, okay, well, let's look at that. Now, what's the problem? Is it because you want to sell as much as your competitors on Valentine's Day? Mm -hmm. Or is it that you want to recover that lost revenue in other ways? And if your competitors are already making all their numbers on Valentine's Day for that, maybe there's another way to, for you to do better sales on another day. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the kind of questions I would be asking and looking at. And where to research that, I would, uh, in the case of this florist, maybe I would go and do some research uh, online to find out about the flower business uh, and its uh, calendar and seasonality. I might go on the sidewalk and ask some questions of people. I might uh, have conversations with people who browse the store and why they decide to buy or not decide to buy. Yep. Um, to try to devise a strategy and, and recommendations to, in this case, like I'm making this up, but either do something better to attract people on Valentine's Day mm -hmm. or do something else that is going to alleviate the fact that you're losing, losing quote-unquote sales on Valentine's Day to make them up some other day and suddenly become... Uh, you know, I might find out that something's happening that actually you are on a, on a very uh, busy, that flower is in a very business, busy business district or an easy convenient distance from a conference center or a hotel that has a lot of conferences and uh, find out that maybe there's an opportunity for, do, for them to do a lot more sales for events mm -hmm. and that, you know, maybe that would be their new marketing strategy is to focus on actually doing business with hotels in the area rather than selling roses to couples. I'm making this up. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that that's great stuff. Yeah, that helps. That helps. Uh, basically, it's getting uh, brands or businesses um, to meet their business objectives. Um, because Ultimately, yes. But particularly, so in historically, particularly with communications, so advertising and marketing, or if I'm, if I'm working directly with, so that's particularly if I'm working with an advertising agency or marketing agency, mm -hmm. uh, which can be across the board there. And, or it could be as wide as the type of stuff I was describing for a smaller business where they don't necessarily have a gigantic media budget to work with. So mm -hmm. that's not the first place to look, if that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, did I cut you off? Uh, no, no, no. So... So it's very important to understand that you are the bridge between the business objectives and mostly the, create, the creative execution. So that, in a, a word to summarize it. Um, so um, as, as a strategist, you know, is there a process of how you craft a strategy? So just now you mentioned that you first talk to the business owner and identify his objectives. So let's make it a smaller scale and how do you normally craft a strategy? Um, 
Well, yeah, it depends. That that's that's the main like the main recipe is, and I think it's the same for pretty much everybody since yeah. the days of I've learned about it. And uh, you go for people who work in strategy in this kind of job, you go back to uh, the the sort of bible of the Stephen King uh, mastery in brand planning. Uh, the master class in brand planning is the book. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you go towards first defining what the objectives for the business are. Uh, and then looking at who are we talking to, mm -hmm. uh, looking at who the audience is, who the audience isn't, uh, is there someone else in terms of audience that we're missing? So really just try to look far and wide as to who is it that we're talking to? How is it that we're talking to? How is the business already talking to them? So i.e., do they already you know, advertise or do they, mm -hmm. how do they already communicate with them? how is that brand or that service known already to people? Mm -hmm. uh, like whether there's a gap, so is there anything that you can keep using in the way that they're perceived or is there a gap that you need to either fill or change mm -hmm. and then devise a strategy for how do we get from point A to point B, which is like where we are now to reaching that objective and uh, typically using communication. So that might be, looking at what kind of media channels we should be communicating on mm. uh, or it might be as simple as saying well actually what you need to do is redo your website um so it turns out to be some kind of document in the end mm. so is that is that help yeah it's it's sort Question. of a process it's some people say yeah, it uh, is. and i don't think there's anything magic in the process uh, aside from having like a thing which is I talk about the fact of using game and game-like and playful elements in the work that I do. Yeah. Um, so that's the difference, I guess, in my, pr it's the difference in aspects of the process that are a little bit different if we talk through it. Uh, but the process itself is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like rather, but rather than some people might draw on a wall and I'm going to be using cards. Yeah. <laughs> the execution is a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I like what you put in your profile. I think let's dial back a bit. You, you say you specialize in playful brand strategy. So um, I would like you to tell my audience to share what is playful brand strategy. Sure. So uh, I think as I just touched upon a little bit, uh, so I've always been fascinated by play and uh, particularly tabletop games. So I grew up playing role-playing games, storytelling games. Um, so games where, that are collaborative storytelling, yeah. like, and it's getting increasingly popular to these days, like Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Uh, I don't really play, I used to play Dungeons & Dragons a long time ago, but I have a lot of other games uh, of the kind, where, in which you make up and interpret a character and you play a story collaboratively yeah. with people around the table where there's no it's not competitive, there's not particularly any winner to the, the idea, to what you're running, but the point is to role play and create these stories and these mm. adventures together. Uh, I also like board games and card games, uh, and I've done some uh, com improv comedy and some theater when I was a teenager. I did a little bit more, I was thinking about doing some lessons here, but anyway. Uh, and then mammals and all, that, all mammals learn through play. They learn through play and play allows them to experience something kind of recreationally without the stakes of the real thing. So dogs or bears play fight when they're kids to experience what it is without actually getting hurt. And we do the same. 
and uh, it opens up a state of mind that is a lot more open to uh, creativity, innovation, and ideas. Yeah. And uh, it's something that we often have as kids, of course, but increasingly is, is lost in, mm. you know, as we've developed a culture that has put play and work in opposition, which didn't used to be the case. It's something that we made up in the 12th or 13th century. Uh, they're words that are not necessarily opposed to each other. They're not that we've just made them that way, mm. culturally and societally. So um, if there's an opportunity to bring a state, a playful state of mind to the process uh, of creating a brand strategy, I will look at what that might be. And I might steal, uh, like I, I did a workshop with clients last week and I stole exercises from improv comedy and I stole, uh, and I cr used a, a deck called the brand deck that was created by a design agency here in Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, which creates like a, it's a prop of cards that are well designed that you can do a number of exercises. They have objectives and words on them. And depending on the exercise that you design for that, it helps people visualize and talk about the attributes that are important to them and their brand. And I also ran a storytelling exercise that was inspired and matched by a couple of other role-playing games to help people uh, in the audience work through what audience insights and defining what the audience, the most important aspects of the audience might be uh, in that they would be interested in the product at hand. And um, learning, and that allowed me to learn more about their audience through uh, them participating in the exercise. Um, so that's how, it, that's how I do it. Uh, there's still for a lot for me to be developing. I would really love at some point to collect all the stuff that I'm putting together into some kind of product. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been talking about that for years and I'm nowhere near having that. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that hope, I hope it helps a little bit visualize or imagine what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, basically uh, how I put it, discovering the brand through the activity of play or discovering insights and you know learning about the brand through play yeah yeah so so that's that's awesome um, and and I love the analogy uh, that we talked about just now about the florist so you said that part of your process is you would um, go out and talk to people and ask them uh, why wouldn't they buy from the florist or what's the experience with florist in the city so yeah. um, when it comes to being a strategist, how, what is the importance of research and how do you normally do research? It's a good question. So uh, research is very important. Yeah. Uh, research is very important. I don't think, let's see, how do I answer that one? Um, yeah, research is very, well, research is very important is, is, and I'm repeating myself, but the main idea is to understand the person's business. If mm -hmm. I show up and I know about sales and I know about people and I know about what kind of media channels work on and how to sell things, but I might not know anything about flowers. So I need to understand that. And that's what the research is about, to be able to understand a little bit more about the business that is, uh, that we're working on at the moment. Mm -hmm. So... I'll honestly use anything I can to be able to get there. Uh, and that might mean, depending on the product and the client, there's definitely these days, a lot of it is happening online. A lot of it is happening on Google. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's true. I, everybody talks about how much better it is to go talk to people. And it is, it's true. 
Yeah. And at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that happens on Google or a lot of increasingly conversations that happen like through a video conference, exactly like this. Yeah. Um, there is some, some stuff and increasingly so that happens with a very quick online surveys. So I've been, it's possible to run very quick online surveys and get responses within, you know, two or three days just to get a bit of an idea. And you, I might have an, a hypothesis about something. Mm -hmm. We can get some responses from people through a quick online survey in a couple of days. And then very large corporations might be working with much larger research agencies, mm -hmm. either traditional ones or ones that have a more novel approach to things. Um, and that's also, that, when that happens, it's fantastic to be working with a lot more resources, but it's not always available. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be doing a mix between talking to people, visiting stores. Um, sometimes I won't be doing it myself. If I have the chance of working with a research partner, then I'll be working with them. Uh, and that might involve either focus groups or visits at home uh, mm -hmm. into people's home and find out how they consume the things that we're talking about like that. Yeah, I, I think you brought up a good point that, you know, digital now, you have a lot of touch points, you have a lot of insights, but I do see the value, like you said, going out talking to people. Um, I think what is uh, lacking right now is the physical research, like actually going to the store, you know, yeah. to purchase a product and getting that whole experience uh, physically as a human being. I think that it's, that needs to go back uh, a bit to what it was. Yeah, and, and at the same time, I mean, I agree, but it's, it's uh, and I don't know what the right answer is there. One of the difficulties is that it's time consuming. And uh, sometimes, particularly when I'm working for an agency, there's just a lot of work going on and we run out of time. I was reading, uh, there's a fantastic book called 98% Pure Potato by uh, an acquaintance and friend, James Griffith. James Griffith. Yeah. Um, John, John Griffiths. I'm sorry, John. John, not James. <laughs> sorry. Um, who's fantastic. He's one of the best planners I know and, uh, and researchers as well, based in London. And he wrote about the origins of account planning and advertising and one whole side of it. So it's usually said that the origins come out of JWT with um, uh, Masterclass in Brand Planning. What's it called? Oh, I can't remember the name. And Stanley Pollitt. I'll come, I'll come back to him. Um, and uh, one side had these people that were doing research constantly. That meant that they went and showed ad concepts and creative concepts to people in focus groups every single night. And they were working from, you know, 8 to 11 or midnight, and then the following morning they would bring back their research. This is in the late 60s. Uh, they would bring back their research to their creative director and say, this worked, this didn't work. They would talk it through and then go through another round of, putting creative together and then go back out in the evening. So that means that it's, you know, you're working late every night and that happens from time to time in advertising, but you have to be willing to work on those kinds of times. And you, you have to be dedicated to this kind of project as well. Increasingly changes in marketing lapses, like uh, shortcuts and budget, not shortcuts, um, budgets being cut by like some of the large clients, mm make it that we don't necessarily have this kind of time to go around in circles uh, to find what the best answer is going to be. We like, you know, very often I have just a few days to put a strategy together on something I've never worked on before. 
-hmm. So if I have the chance to talk to a few people, that's great. Sometimes it's not always the case, like to be honest. And, and I always think it's better to be talking to people. I agree. But, um, and there's other times I don't want to work until midnight. I don't like to go talk to people every time. Or, or I, I just, I don't have the, um, the budget, the time or the capacity to be able to do that when I'm running several projects at once. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if it's a very good or a very enthusiastic or very optimistic answer. I agree. It's better to be talking to people and finding out what's going on with them. Uh, that's where we get interesting ideas and get under the skin of what's going on in real life uh, of people rather than staying mm -hmm. behind or inside the doors of an office without really having a proper idea of what it is we're talking about. And at the same time, you know, there's a lot of information on Google that can be very useful and using new technologies like, you know, talking to people through their mobile phones, uh, on video conferences, mm -hmm. getting people to record photos. And there's a number of new services that do that, um, that do, you know, that, that facilitate getting a wide number of people mm -hmm. to record both audio, photo and video of their lives through their phones. So you get a glimpse of that. But that also involves cost, so you need to be able to justify it. Mm -hmm. and, and those costs are born, it depends. Like sometimes the marketing teams at big companies have less of that budget, but on the other hand, their consumer insights team, their innovation teams might have that budget. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I have no idea if I'm going too far out compared to... Uh, what no, it's, um, most, most of my audience are, are people in the industry. Uh, huh. the feedback I get. So they, they totally understand uh, what you say. Sometimes you are limited by cost and yeah. time, of course. But at the very least, I do recommend, and I feel like that stuff I do is just be scrappy. Yeah. You know, just don't be limited by everything. At the very least, go and talk to a couple of people, visit a supermarket. I mean, it's a little bit stalkerish, but I might just hang around a supermarket if, if I'm working on a, such a product and just look at what people are doing in the aisle. Yeah, yeah, Ama amazing stuff. So, so like uh, you mentioned during your career, uh, you worked on, you started in digital strategy, and then you moved towards. Yeah, I mean, I did other stuff before that. That's the beginning of my strategy career. I started in design. Yeah, design, and you you did a bit of uh, digital, and and then uh, you've moved towards more of the creative side. So, uh, my well, I was already creative on the digital side. Creative right. on a digital side. Sorry, yeah. I let you finish your question. I apologize. Ah, no worries, no worries. That's good. Venturing <laughs> is good, or like, like uh, sometimes I, with my guests, I do, you know, um, you know, discuss questions, um, and um, and and more so, you moved on to more like creative agency side, like on the more creative. We call it creative, but it's more like traditional execution. Yeah, traditional advertising agencies, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's the difference between like? Uh, pure digital digital strategy versus like sort of a creative agency strategy. Uh, <laughs> very yeah. good question. Uh, it really depends uh, on actually. So I tell you, just to be crude, where it depends is where the money's coming from. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like the main nomer of what an agency does is where the main source of revenue comes from, and everybody wants to be doing everything. Well, no, that's not true. Not everybody wants to be doing everything, but yeah. 
So ideally, I want to be recommending when we talked about the florist kind of question and how to get from point A to point B to realize your objectives, I would like to be able to recommend whatever seems to be the best thing to achieve that objective. Yeah. Right? Now, if I am working with a digital agency who is organized to be, say, delivering and creating at the time, things have changed a little bit now, but um, yeah. at the time, and that was 10 plus 12 years ago, yeah. I was working with an agency, uh, Iris, who had grown at, and, and doing selling websites and microsites and digital campaigns and doing creating display ads and mm -hmm. uh, mobile applications, that kind of thing, right? Um, well, more often than not, that's what the clients come to see you for, which makes sense. They need some kind of a digital solution, so they see the digital label and they come down to you because they think that's what they need. Mm -hmm. And then matching that kind of behavior, I'm going to be recommending digital solutions because that's what we sell. So when I worked then, when we worked together a little bit, uh, and I was working in Malaysia and Singapore uh, for Sachi, Sachi is a lot more known for traditional advertising. So the large part of what they know best is, um, say, TV advertising and slash video. It might go on YouTube, but it might go on TV too. And having a traditional set of uh, media that is like, we're going to create a big idea for your advertising campaign and how your brand is going to be expressed on, for this particular campaign that's going to achieve objectives that we have defined together. And it's going to go on TV and it's going to go on radio and it's going to go on billboards. It's going to go, mm -hmm. maybe it's going to go on social media. It's going to go online. Uh, and these guys do website as well, but it's not really necessarily their main specialty. So mm -hmm. of course, a lot more of my strategy is going to be involved in justifying selling the TV ad because that's what we sell and do best, uh, which makes sense. And it's traditionally what everybody associates still to this day with advertising, even if it's going to go on YouTube. Um, so yeah, sorry. What was the question again? I feel, I feel like. Oh, what's the difference between like when you're doing strategy for these two companies? I think you answered, but is there a difference? So, okay, so here's the main difference. Otherwise, sorry. Let me be a little bit more pointed. The main difference is if I'm going to be doing digital, I need to have a lot stronger understanding of the channels where it's going to be published that change all the time. Yeah. So if I'm going to be doing digital, I need to have a really good up-to-date handle on the technology that we're talking about mm -hmm. and work with the people that know the best on the technology. So the people in the room I'm talking to are also going to be the technology slash, you know, software programmers or website programmers, uh, developers, uh, as well as like user experience designers, people who think about the interaction design while I might be a little bit more specialized on what's going on with the business and the audience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Facebook changes their rules every three months. Uh, new technologies come in for the best way and best practices to design a website. All that changes very fast. So if I'm doing digital, I need to get up to date with all of that. That's the most important. Whereas uh, if I'm working with the brand overall on how they communicate, that changes, but not as fast. It's a little bit more, I mean, not timeless, but a little bit more like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely get that. When, when you're working with a traditional creative agency, you sort of work quarterly, like thematic quarterly campaigns. That's my experience anyway. Yeah, but it, you, the, the channels don't change as much. TV is TV, radio is radio, and print is print. So, so yeah. Well, for, for all of I don't know if you saw that slide that was circulated. I think Julian Cole shared it, but I'd seen it before. It's, a, you know, the pessimistic and cynical view of some of the job in marketing about, 
I can't remember what it was, like 20 years ago um, or 15 years ago, the clients wanted this many channels and then, or wanted that many channels between TV, yeah. radio, advertising, Facebook and everything else. And all those things keep multiplying. But what, yeah. the, ag what the agency presents is a lot more and a lot more, you know, uh, partnership ideas and original documentary on Netflix or Amazon yeah, Prime yeah. or all sorts of stuff like that. Cool, nifty technology stunts and digital mm. billboards and a, and a 3D um, or augmented reality something and all of those things running together and working within the same big idea. But then what gets realized at the end is still, you know, a few banners and TV ad and, and that's yeah. about it. I remember uh, that. It's always true, right? But it's, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I remember that visual. It's sort of, sort of the pitch. When you go in for a pitch, you pitch everything, and what the client in the end buys is TV, radio, and ads. That's, that's and it's tough for an agency to figure out, you know, how much of this stuff should I put together that is going to, is that going to be giving me a competitive edge? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I understand that you want to, it's, and it's not that you shouldn't, but I don't think the more channels for the sake of it is going to necessarily give you a competitive edge mm -hmm. um, over your competition. But I'm, I'm now I don't know if it's, that's what it is. Maybe the creators literally really had uh, a fantastic idea for each one of those channels and decided to present it, in which case, great. But sometimes it feels like we're just trying to paint by numbers and fill all the boxes, even though there's not a great idea for every one of the things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes over pitch. No worries. Let's not talk about the gloomy stuff. Let's, let's move on to something more chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get back to the gloomy stuff. But um, so, so my question to you, William, such, uh, as, as a strategist, um, a lot of people in advertising look back to the maybe the glory days of advertising. So my, my question to you is, is there anything that inspires you? Like besides games, of course. Do you look back to, uh, to any favorite campaigns or is there anything that you see that, that really inspired you? From old campaigns in particular? Oh, anything, or or anything, anything that you see that inspires you, yeah. Okay, so I mean, obviously you said games and, and it does. And yeah. uh, just to mention on that, there's like tons of new things that are being created all the time. And in my podcast, I talk to game designers as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I keep an eye on Kickstarter because Kickstarter the the tabletop games community and the project the creative projects that are financed there is the biggest uh, area and category within Kickstarter projects yeah. crowdfunding projects so I, I really look and there's a lot of inspiration for me there and what all the new stuff that are being designed I went to the biggest uh, hobby gaming convention last year so to go talk to designers and find out everything that's going on there so it is a big area so that that I just wanted to underline yeah. it a little bit more. Uh, and then I do a lot of different things to keep in touch. I look at what's going on in Eventbrite. I go out. I, I literally just scroll through what events are happening. And that might be networking events, festivals, artistic events, market days, uh, all sorts of different stuff in whatever city I'm in. So I've been in Chicago, so there's a lot going on. It's a big city, right? Yeah. Um, so I find out what kinds of interesting things that are going on. So for example, uh, when was it, 10 days ago? I, and there's a, there's a lot of comedy scenes, so improv and stand-up comedy here in Chicago. And through scrolling on Eventbrite, I found out about this comedy show uh, and uh, podcast called uh, Arguments and Grievances. Mm 
and arguments and grievances is the idea is they pit two stand-up comedy comedians against each other on ridiculous topics that they're meant to argue each other against uh, about. So in this case, uh, some of the examples were uh, one person debating for the Godfather and the other person debating for God the Father. Or one person debating for Chicago Fire, the TV show about firemen, versus the fire festival, the debacle that happened in the Bahamas. And it's really funny. And it was, it was just like random I found out about that. So either that or another week it might be I find that there's a really interesting talk happening at an advertising agency about mm. something. Um, or I go to, I was a member, uh, I'm a member at the Chicago Art Institute, which is the second largest art museum in North America or in the United States for sure. I'm pretty sure it's North America yeah. and the Science and uh, Industry Museum as well. So I go there from time to time just to get a little bit of inspiration from art. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, just walking around and in this case, walking by the lake. But I've always liked walking around, just taking a walk and getting some inspiration. I obviously listen to a lot of podcasts as well. Uh, some somewhat less than before. Uh, I, I just can't keep up with everything. Just like TV shows, I've seriously reduced the amount of TV shows I stream because I, I don't have time. Um, what else do I do? Read. Uh, I've been trying to get back into reading as well. And, yeah. uh, and otherwise, like big advertising campaigns. I mean, there's like advertising campaigns that are iconic that I grew up with that I particularly love that are French because I grew up in France. Uh, so I don't know how helpful that's going to be. But I wrote blog posts about it. One is going to be like the Kiss Cool campaign, which is a mint. Uh, and there's like iconic advertising campaigns about the second Kiss Cool effect. And um, yeah, there's a number of other like ad campaigns. Skittles or have ad campaigns that I always love because they're just weird and absurd and funny. And I yeah. like that kind of humor. Um, and I, I used to, I mean, I, I try to limit my consumption as well, but I do like Skittles. So yeah, that cool. gives a bit of a round. Yeah, that's, that's quite a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's cool. So I go on dates. That's, uh, you know, that's also something that I, I, look I look at activities like the ones I just mentioned. And mm -hmm. if there's either, either a friend or potentially a, a date to go and uh, experience all this, the good stuff that Chicago has to offer or the city where I'm at. You know, I used to go out and do shows in Singapore when I was in Singapore. Really? Uh, also, like, <laughs> Yeah, there's not, there's not, I mean, there are shows in Singapore. Yes, we're not, there are stuff, there's stuff going on in Singapore, a little bit less than in Chicago, to be honest, but. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did uh, stand-up comedy for, I think, a year, where right? I really went Indeed. into it. And That's it's great. quite a scene here in, in Kuala Lumpur. There are about three, um, three grassroots, uh, what we call open mics. There are about three open mics if you wanted to try your hand. For locals here, or anyone who's in town, so it's very. I vaguely thought about it. I haven't, I haven't gotten around to writing bits and actually braving the mic. But good on you for trying. So, did you take classes or? No, I just went and did a. So you start off with three minutes, and then you do five minutes, and you, if you're very good, you can do like, um, do five minutes, and then one day maybe you get to do a special and get paid. But it's a long journey, uh, to be a stand-up comedy, and then I, I got busy with work. Uh, so people who go through the whole journey of from an open mic to actually being a comedian, I totally respect. 
you know, yeah, it takes absolutely. years and years of dedication and time. So I really respect that. And yeah. So how, how much time did you, or approximately how much preparation time and work time did you put into having like three minutes of material ready? Oh, it takes, depends on what, what you, Ish. your style and depends on uh, what's your material. And some people can just wing it. I don't wing it. I have like over materials. Uh, but yeah, there, there are a lot of, co um, it's a bit, I think it's great for people, especially in the marketing world, to attend stand-up comedy shows because yeah. it's where you get the local insights. It's where you get the local jokes, the local slang, and you know what's happening in the city. That's where you really get to know the city. Two, two places yeah. I love when I visit a city. One is the comedy clubs, and the other one is cocktail bars, where you really talk to the bartenders and get, get to know what's happening. So that's, that's yeah. how I know the city. It's a good point. And actually, it's usually, it's often recommended and it's fantastic for people who do our job. And, uh, and if you're going to be leading a meeting in any kind of way or presenting in any kind of way to try your hand at improv comedy and or stand up comedy. Uh, and equally, just if ever by any random chance people listen to this who do tabletop role playing games, if you don't want to, if you work in advertising and you present, but you don't feel like you want to try improv comedy, I would also recommend tabletop role playing games, because yeah. there's a lot of interpreting, improvisation, and usually it's recommended to role playing game players to try improv comedy and take classes because it improves both of those things, uh, and it would also improve your presentation skills. So both from like being able to answer a question on the cuff, to be able to come up with ideas, to be able to practice coming up with ideas because it is a practice. Yeah. Um, like that. So yeah, it's yeah. recommended. I've, I haven't, it's a shame that I haven't done more of that in Chicago yet. Yeah. But, uh, I did go to a lot of shows on a regular basis, but I didn't really practice myself. I would say um, doing an open mic, getting a room of people to laugh, it's possibly the most scariest experience you could ever have. And yeah. once you're able to do that on a regular basis, any presentation is just like whatever, you're communicating information. But once yeah. you need to convey an emotion, that's, that's the hardest part. So, so Well, I, yeah. you're absolutely right. And I would say the best presenters do convey emotions, not yeah. just convey information, right? Yeah, that's, that's great. So yeah, that's uh, amazing stuff. And I hope the audience, you know, um, are as marketers are more interested in culture and what's happening and delve into the insights. So, mm -hmm. so Willem, you have. Well, I wanted to say something. You just made me reminded me of an earlier point I wanted to jump back to quickly. When yeah. we were talking about research, uh, I was just listening to a podcast uh, on the Sam Harris podcast with Daniel Kahneman, and obviously yeah. Daniel Kahneman, famous psychologist, System One, System Two, very much talked about around strategy circles and and marketing as well on uh, how people react and how people buy stuff in general. Mm. And in that conversation, they mentioned at a certain point, uh, and, and Daniel Kahneman talks about how the interviews are completely unreliable because they take up so much space and they're so vivid that we tend to put a lot more stock into their truth than uh, just baseline either tests or quantitative research. And I thought it was a very interesting point because we do that all the time in marketing and advertising. We do a few interviews or we do quantitative research. We talk to a few consumers. And uh, now it is really, really good to get vivid, interesting, uh, original insight into one person. 
but I thought I'd underline that it was interesting to hear, you know, from the horse's mouth of a really famous psychologist that it's also dangerous to be extrapolating that to a whole population. Uh, even though it's interestingly what we do a lot of times, or at least in my experience, what I've done, I've, I've done that a bunch of times by going, oh, wow, this person told me that that was so inspiring and interesting. I feel like I've, di I've discovered something new about uh, this human consumer, and we would yeah. call it a human insight, like finding out something new about it. And I'm going to rest my whole strategy around this and convince other people. But actually, does it really match the wide population of buyers of this particular thing, service product, go figure. But um, so yeah, I just thought I'd mention that. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's great insight. So um, yeah, so research. I how much of it as a strategist? I know research is important, but how much is it that you do research uh, based? Uh, you you have sometimes you go with your gut, which is. Sometimes yes. as a marketer, you have to. So how much is it gut? And it's how kind of what I just described, I guess, yeah. going with your gut, sort of. Yeah. And research is more like to, to see whether your, your gut is right. <laughs> to see whether your... Yes. So To be honest, yeah. Sometimes, yes. It's not... Yeah. Because ultimately, it might sound like we're... Sorry, I don't know if you finished your question or not. Oh, no. I'm finished. Yeah. Okay. Um... So I don't know if I'm going to say, I might be saying something controversial, maybe, <laughs> but you're right. Sometimes we go with our gut and then find something to prove our gut is right. Yeah. And it, the story makes sense. And so we sell it. Or some other times we say we have this whole scientific approach and then we go A plus B plus C somehow, whatever that is, to go through a whole chain of like why this is right. Or, you know, talk about the agile approach and that we're going to do this in iterative circle cycles of finding out what the right answer is. But it's all dressing. We're yeah. not scientists, really, sort of, but we're not really. Most of the time, working in creative communications is as much following and trusting and convincing the gut of the person who's going to be buying as well as all the people on the receiving end of the communication. Mm -hmm. So back to the example of our, our florist, uh, the florist, mm -hmm. for example. In the case of the florist, I might talk to many flower buyers, I guess, uh, or people, who, pe people that are on the receiving end, so people who the buyers buy the flowers for. So that might be you know, the people visiting the conference center at the hotel or the wives of the men that are buying the flowers or women, vice versa the women, their partners in general, regardless of gender. Um, now, whatever I think is best for them, mm -hmm. the owner of the shop has to buy the idea because it's their money they're putting on it. Mm -hmm. So you have to convince them that that's the right perspective. But it, the fact that you have to persuade them that that's the right idea influences my response automatically. Mm -hmm. If I know they're more likely to buy one thing over another, how much time am I going to expend trying to sell something they're never going to buy? Yeah. Now I might not know that in advance, but the more, you know, a client and it's just like, it's automatically unconsciously uh, a bias. Yeah. Is it yeah. bad? No, I mean, but it's not bad because ultimately the idea is that it's a sales transaction. We're dressing it up as science to be able to make the best things possible. Now, not everybody thinks like me. I don't think there's any particular, um, one answer to, or truth to what we're doing. I think sometimes there is, and what seems to be the best answer is what we're going to go for. And I'll, I'll 
put as much information and quote unquote science I can within the time I'm given to yeah. be able to give the best answer possible and what seems to be right, whether it's given by my gut or justified by stats or whatever. Mm -hmm. But as long as it goes through and it does, the, it produces the results we want, then fine. Other people might think that there is one truth to get to. I don't think so, but that, but that's the way I, I go about life in general. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Trust, trust your instincts. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. So uh, we're nearing the end. So I have like about three questions left and I hope you okay. get the most out of this interview. So you've worked extensively in Europe from London to Paris and you spent some time here in Asia and also now you're in North America. So what's, what's the difference when it comes to, you know, the audience and marketing uh, between three different, very different continents? Uh, it's a very good question, and I've, I've listened to a couple of conversations that talked about the differences in planning style. Yeah. Um, one in particular on Adam Pierno's podcast, Strategy Inside Everything, and a conversation with Gareth Kay that I highly recommend if you're mm -hmm. working in the business, check it out. Uh, comparing between Europe and North America in particular, mm -hmm. and I guess I'm just buying time while I'm thinking about what my answer is, okay. but uh, the... I would say it's a good way to look at that. So the differences are planning is a, the discipline that I do really comes from England mm -hmm. and it comes from a culture that appreciates thinking and trying to find answers behind how advertising works mm -hmm. and how communications work and how, what is the value of a brand and how people perceive it and better understanding that, like what's the relationship between a sales increase and the communications we put out there about selling our products or services. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's an appreciation for digging into and thinking about the process. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think probably because of a history of colonialism in the British empire, that thinking is spread out more in places I've been to in Asia, such as Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, uh, and even India to a certain extent maybe less so in China as far as I've heard, but I've, I've done less work myself in China. I've lived, I've stayed in China and I've worked with clients directly a little bit and a little bit in Hong Kong. Uh, whereas North America seems to have, while that culture exists, uh, the approach to strategy has been as a tool to get new business in and less so as a tool to improve and be embedded in everything that we're doing because they're just more interested in the sales results. Mm -hmm. um, mostly not always right not always yeah. but I think there's a little bit of it's stereotypical because I mean I, I can't do anything else that, but be stereotypical when I'm asked like, to say the differences that are yeah yeah that are vastly different across all this stuff so now, then, then there's another practical difference is that in during planning for large brands across countries that speak different languages in Europe and in Asia has something has similarities because you're working across regions um, and you have to compose with trying to explain like, so what's you necessarily have to not necessarily, but you kind of find yourself or at least I found myself going to lowest common denominators, which is what I don't usually want to do. But if I'm trying to find a campaign idea, that's going to work for very different languages and culture at the same time for Indonesia, for the Philippines, for um, Malaysia, and say that, you know, what's the common denominator across all those things that's going to allow me to sell a car, for instance. Mm. Uh, it, you go broader in idea rather than specific. 
Uh, whereas in the States, even though there are very different regional markets and very, very big businesses, there's still a lot more in common in terms of culture. Even though, yes, it is different in culture to go from the South to the North, but there's still tons of commonalities because it's still under one flag in one country. So it's, I feel it's a little bit easier. Um, and also because there's a lot, arguably bigger, or it depends what kind of products, but there's bigger budgets that still allow uh, the brands to have local marketing budgets to even they, they might have a bit of a broad umbrella idea that can go specifics into local markets. So yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an observation. Uh, of course, there's a lot of generalization, but it's an observation. Yeah, sorry. And great, I mean, great I could talk about the food otherwise and the atmosphere within agencies, <laughs> but there's something yeah. that carries, which is the culture of an ad agency and marketing carries across the world. So you deal with different topics, you deal with different countries, but, and this might be a mark of globalization or something along those lines, uh, the bottom line, the numbers, the how we're selling, the media channels are kind of similar. So there's a common language, even though, you know, I, I don't speak Malay all that much aside from a few words I've learned here and there. Yeah. They still have to put stuff on TV and sell things. So it's, there's a common language at the end of the day. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's great to hear from someone who has worked, you know, in very, very different markets across the world. Thanks. So, and, you know, I could expand on a lot more. Um, yeah. My rambling might be a little bit general at first. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. I think, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. And it's, it's uh, more conversational if uh, we do it this way. Uh, anyway, almost, almost the last question, unless I come up with something. So um, I, when I was uh, possibly um, younger, I, I was aspired to be a strategist. You know, I started in uh, working in advertising probably like, 10 years ago, and um, um, I started in accounts. Um, but what, what I found was at that time, just, uh, just a generalization, what I found was being in the Asian market, a lot of the strategies are either expats or, yeah, mostly expats. There's no, uh, nor, no, not many Asians here doing strategy. And as what I observed, is as we move on in the industry, um, a lot of in the agencies agencies here in Asia don't have per se strategies here anymore, unless it's a strategy director or like a VP of strategy. So, uh, what what do you think is um, the future of this role as a strategist? And <laughs> yeah, it's a tough question, but what is, what is the role, or are they missing out on something if you don't have a strategy? Um, yeah, so I don't know if people are looking at this on YouTube. I have no idea how much like physical expressions to do versus people who are just listening. Yeah. It is a big question. I, um, let me think, is this still the case right now? I thought that when I left a few years ago that there seemed to be more, uh, local Asian people hired as strategists, but I could be wrong. Uh, not many more. There are some, but... Uh, I think in Singapore, there are not many more in Malaysia. In fact, uh, there is a decline in the role. So, yeah, altogether, uh, there's just less yeah, yeah, lesser of this role. Well, there's, it's, there's a few different ways to go about this one. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm yeah, not yeah. there anymore, and I'm not certainly yeah, yeah. You know, managing the, big, the pockets of a large agency, so I don't know. But yeah. 
there's arguably a little bit of a decline or changes in the industry overall that probably strategists, uh, that the discipline perhaps has, I was going to say suffers, I don't know if this is the right word, or at least there's consequences. Uh, arguably, the strategy is a luxury. Yeah. You don't need it when you start an agency. And the strategy adds value, I would say, probably more so in growth. In, if an industry is in decline, we don't necessarily have a direct impact on a bottom line, so it's difficult to justify more of uh, this particular discipline, even though our job is to add value at every level. So if you're counting things from a money perspective, it's not always easy to see where the value of strategy lies, even though I believe in it, but then I would say that because I am one. Um, so that that's one side. And then there's been, there's a lot of organizations on the big communications groups, you know, WPP merging some of their largest agencies together, mm -hmm. meaning uh, a lot of either voluntary redundancies or layoffs. Uh, and that includes the strategy side of things. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I was, I was, there was a reduction in budget uh, for the client and the work I was doing last year. So that happened to me too here in the States. It's not just in Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't know so much about what was going on in Asia right now. Now I'm not explaining why there's like expats in doing yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries about jobs yeah. in Asia that I can't really, yeah. I mean, I think there should be more local people doing that job because they have the local mm -hmm. insights and they know better about culture than white guys do in this particular case, even though I'm very grateful that I had the chance to, of working over there. Uh, the best I could do is understand and be, try to be best I could very humble about the fact that I'm coming from a completely different perspective. But that, again, is also something I try to bring as much as I can everywhere yeah. to try to bring the fact that I cannot understand the, the, what's going on in the heads and minds and hearts of the people that I try to understand. But the best I can do is to, is to try to get there and at least acknowledge that I am completely different. So I, I try to approach it from an external perspective all the time, um, whatever that might mean. So there's budgets that are being reduced. The largest traditional clients of advertising and marketing agencies, the big automotive companies, the big CPG slash FMCG, so fast moving consumer, all the stuff we find in the supermarket, all their marketing budgets are being cut down and have been consistently cut down the past few years, which has a direct impact on the people that hire strategists on those agencies. Mm -hmm. So that changes as well. And, you know, if you, an agency that starts might think that they need somebody to sell the work and somebody to make the work, but maybe not somebody to think about the work too much. Although some are created with those kinds of people and are valuable too. So I think, I don't know if that's what it is, but that's what it's making me think of as an answer. Yeah. Now, conversely, there's a lot more opportunity, it seems, for small and nimble players. Mm. Um, like I'm freelancing now and I'm working with smaller agencies quite a bit uh, and, and or smaller businesses that might need advice, but they don't have the money to buy a full-blown agency. So there's a lot of opportunities for smaller players, just like there's tons of opportunities for small growing businesses to take on the big guys. You know, all those kind of millennial quote unquote brands, direct to consumer brands that are doing a really great job of selling products directly to consumers mm -hmm. and increasingly being bought by the big guys. I just, I just got an email yesterday that Harry's, Harry's shaves uh, blades and Harry's men's products, which I, I do buy, 
uh, got bought by Schick, which I can't remember what corporation that is, but uh, a bigger brand, basically. Just like um, the Dollar Shave Club was bought by Unilever. Yeah. So there's a bunch of those other kinds of brands that are created everywhere, and there's opportunities. They still need marketing advice, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities there. Cool. I, I always say this is the age of the challenger brands. I think people call it the challenger brands. And yep. there's a, another lot of, word for it, yep. a lot of opportunities working for you know, either the brands or working for agencies that serve these challenger brands against you know, the big giants. So, yeah, and also tons of other opportunities in other industries. At the moment, I'm working on brands that I'd never heard about before, and, but they have, there are businesses that have a lot of money that don't necessarily sound sexy, but they're a lot... They're very open to my, you know, just sometimes wacky ideas of doing exercises with lots of stuff with cars written on them where we create characters and personas together, um, which is, it's not super wacky really, but uh, it is a little bit, and uh, it's a little bit original, but I get information out of uh, clients and employees within client organizations that way that I don't usually get, which is fantastic. Great stuff. All right, uh, Willem, let's end this on a high note, higher note, perhaps. So, so you talked about a lot of books and a lot of podcasts. So if one, someone wanted to sort of learn more how to think creatively and strategically, what yeah. are the books or podcasts that you would recommend? Besides your own podcast, uh, you know? uh, Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about my podcast, but yeah, yeah, sure. I recommend my podcast. Check out I have Ice Cream for Everyone. I wouldn't start there. But I would say one of my all-time favorites on creativity is uh, Creativity Inc., the book by Ed Catmull, the CEO of Pixar, the animation studio that now is uh, belongs to Disney. Yeah. But all of their creative process and how do they create a creative culture, I highly recommend. I really, really love that. So that's one I really love. Um, podcasts, I would... I mean, some of my go-tos on the podcasting side of things uh, that are just interesting on exploring topics of a wide range always super interesting that makes you think about new things in new ways radio lab reply all uh which tends to be around the internet but they kind of similar in the stories they approach reply all is more about internet related geeky sometimes geeky stories uh invisibilia that is all about how our minds operate on fantastic interviews uh so more about hollywood and everything hollywood or music the mark mm. maron wtf podcast which is super famous mm. i personally like sam harris uh he tends to be quite a controversial figure in mm. some circles but i i like him a lot i use his meditation app uh waking up i've read his waking up book that i quite liked and he has great guests on the podcast as well yeah um so like daniel kahneman that i was mentioning earlier mm -hmm. um what other books about creativity let me look at my show <laughs> um, stuff about, oh, uh, a, uh, a theory of fun for game design. Oh. I recommend that one. That is a very good book. And it's, it's really on how to be creative more than anything. Uh, and it's a book that's very quickly read, that's a really easy read, but a fascinating read that has become a, a staple in all game design courses. And everybody was asking that guy, Ralph Koster is the author, K-O-S-T-E-R, about how he did game design. And he ended up writing a, uh, a, a mind and mental approach to it rather than anything that was technical. And it's really good. So you can apply it to any creative industry and it really works. Um, yeah. 
otherwise I would go towards biographies. If you want to find out more about uh, planning and strategy, if you haven't read them, they're like Bibles and necessary reads, 98% pure potato, mm-hmm. the origins of account planning, uh, truth lies in advertising, John Steele, also the pitch perfect book or pitch perfect or perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I have it on my desk. Um, yeah. And uh, a masterclass in brand planning from God, what's his name? Stephen King. Sorry, there you go. The yeah, one I forgot yeah. earlier, Stephen King, who invented the profession, basically. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's tons of others, uh, but uh, those are the ones that come to mind most right now. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, thanks for all the podcasts and book recommendations. Thanks for taking the time, uh, Willem. Oh, my so, pleasure, Bob. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, to all my audience, please check out uh, Willem's podcast, Ice Cream for Everyone, and do, do subscribe to his newsletter that has lots of insights and links and interesting stuff about Ice Cream Sunday. So yeah, thanks William for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks.